Hello, and welcome to episode 225 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here, as always, with... Jason Rabinowitz. Happy Wednesday, Ian. How are you? Happy Wednesday, Jason. I'm well. How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm good. It's Wednesday. Boring, boring work week. Not much going (laughs) on. Not much in the way of news. Some interesting things, but not a whole ton. It's summer. People don't want to be doing anything. No, it's definitely the middle of the vacation slash holiday period where making sure that at least one person is in the office just to to keep an eye on things is is where we're at. at Send a work email and I dare you to find someone to a group of people that you're not going to get an auto reply from that says, sorry, I'm out of the office. I'll be back in like two weeks. Yeah. There's a lot going on though, as far as aviation, aviation events are concerned. We We just had the Royal International Air Tattoo last week in the UK. And the then they actually uh, get off yeah, the ground exactly. because of the weather. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is, you know, the, the UK summer weather. It, it delivers as promised. And then Oshkosh is coming up. Well, Oshkosh begins this weekend. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that in the show later on, get into some detail and, and things like that. But aside from our first story, it's been a relatively quiet week. But this was anything but quiet for the people that were in the house. You've got some local news. I do. Yeah, local news indeed. So a United 767-300ER on approach to Chicago's O'Hare International Airport from Zurich landed a little bit lighter than it should have earlier this week. This was Monday, the 17th of July. United Flight 12, as it was on final approach, runway 28 center, Lost one of its escape slides. Where'd it go? Aha. Where'd they lose it? Yeah. They, well, they lost it over somebody's house. This slide. So this was one of the off wing. We don't know which off wing escape slide, what right or left side, but it was one of the off wing 767 escape slides. It deployed and detached from the aircraft as the aircraft was going about 137 knots over the ground at about 12.30 in the afternoon, landed on someone's house two, almost three miles east of the airport. Aircraft landed safely, taxied to the gate. Ground personnel said, can we have that back, please? There's a hole in the plane. And the folks who found, heard the slide hit their house, then went outside and said, hey, that's weird. That's not supposed to be there. Called the police and the police called the FAA and and United and they said, yep, that's our slide. Can we have it back? Mm, That's nice. uh, The fun part was that the crew had no idea that this had happened. There's apparently no no alert for this on the ECAS system that the the slide is- So yeah, that was a question that I was going to pose to folks who- who are listening to the podcast. And if you are a 767 pilot, I know a few 767 pilots listen to the podcast. And if you have any information on this, I would be interested to hear from you because the news reports said that the United pilots had no idea this happened. And the story is that the ground handling personnel saw that the slide was missing and that's how the story developed. But a similar incident happened to an Atlas Air 767 approaching Phoenix in 2016. And in that incident, it was reported that the pilots were alerted that the slide deployed. Well, there's also another incident, again, a 767. In 2019, a Delta 767, I believe a 
300 ER, I'm not quite sure, also lost a slide on approach to Boston. And according to this article from CBS News, they didn't know either. They reported a loud noise as the aircraft was on approach to Logan, and then it says workers inspected the aircraft after landing and discovered that the right rear evacuation slide was missing. So this is very much a thing with the 767, huh. apparently. So obviously the FAA is investigating, and who knows if we get an emergency airworthiness directive or just a regular old airworthiness directive after it's all said and done and this has been investigated. But there are multiple existing airworthiness directives regarding escape slides for the 767. A few of them involve the door-mounted slides inflating uncommanded, which is really bad because they inflate inside the aircraft. Yes, and that's happened recently, hasn't it? I don't remember to which airline, but I do recall that happening somewhat recently. And so those exist. Then there are also off-wing escape slide airworthiness directives that address the escape slide not deploying when it's supposed to. Part of those airworthiness directives also address the slide deploying in an uncommanded fashion during maintenance activity. So the mechanisms for these particular slides deploying, it's supposed to be the overwing exit is opened or that part is triggered depending if you do it during maintenance activity, you don't have to actually open the overwing exit. Then a panel that's in the fuselage, this particular slide is stored in the fuselage. The panel that's on the side of the fuselage, just above where the aft part of the wing meets the fuselage, opens, the slide deploys, and then you can go down the slide and get off the wing. So It's unclear at this point, obviously the FAA is investigating what happened or why it happened exactly, but I'm going to be keen to find out what they discover about why this particular slide deployed. Good news is it detached from the aircraft. It didn't cause any further problems. We talked about the possibility of the slide being caught on the horizontal stabilizer in the context of Asiana exit door slide. Jason, that was, what, a month or so ago even? Yeah, not even. This has been happening a lot recently, which it probably shouldn't be. So this was not someone opening a door on approach. This was just sounds like a mechanical failure because there are a number of mechanical linkages between the slide opening or the door being opened or aircraft thinking the door is open and this particular slide actually deploying. So all sorts of interesting things happening here. We'll be very keen to find out what happened and why. But you know what's interesting is if it had happened 30 seconds later, the slide would have fallen into the middle of a forest. And I'm sure it would have been found fairly easily because it's a giant silver escape slide. But it would have been much more difficult to retrieve, and it would have been a much bigger mystery. Here, it just hit somebody's house, which is rather unfortunate. Yeah, and thankfully, it didn't hit any people People. on the ground. Yet again, we've been quite lucky with things falling off of airplanes and thankfully not hitting anyone recently. Hopefully, that luck doesn't run out anytime soon. Yeah, I certainly hope not. Let's stick with United and talk about some new routes they've introduced. I don't think any of which will be operated by the 767-300ER. No, probably not. They'd probably have a bit of a problem if they tried that. But Pacific demand or Trans-Pacific from North America to Asia has been really lagging 
pretty much everything else in the world since COVID. China specifically really has not reopened for much tourism. From the US, there is not a lot of capacity at all. But United finally announced a big ramp up, not to China, but a lot of new and increased Trans-Pacific service, which is interesting because American and Delta have not really touched this at all so far. But the headlining route here is a new daily route starting, these are all starting in October 28th and 29th, San Francisco to Manila, which is quite an interesting route that according to our friend Seth Miller, United has been trying to launch since like 2019 or something like that. So this has been a long time aspiration for United to get the slot and they can finally withdraw their objection to Philippine Airline flying so many routes to the US while they can't do it. So that's good. Some other interesting routes. Los Angeles, LAX to Hong Kong is being introduced by United. They are actually, and this is quite an odd one, resuming LAX to Tokyo Narita on top of the already existing daily LAX to Haneda flight, which is the preferred airport for origin and destination travel. But Haneda is more for origin and destination, while Narita is really great for connecting itineraries to other Asian destinations. And another one that I didn't see coming was an increasing to two daily flights from San Francisco to Taipei, which is a lot of capacity on that route now. Yeah. I mean, the Manila flight makes sense because as you mentioned, they've been trying to launch that for some time and it was kind of a hole in the Pacific network. The interesting thing is the doubling of the Taipei frequency. That one, yeah, I also did not see coming. Yeah, and that's on top of other airlines who already operate that route. I assume both EVA and China Airlines already operate that route. And yeah, the Manila flight is certainly interesting. That's the headlining route that United really came out swinging with. They also said that they would launch tomorrow if possible or relaunch Newark to Hong Kong because there is demand for that. But unfortunately, with the aircraft they have, they just can't do it because of the Russian airspace closure for US airlines, which is unfortunate. Yeah. And the rub there is that there are still airlines operating through Russian airspace to make that route work. Namely, Cathay Pacific three or four or five times a day. So yeah, a little bit of an unfair advantage there. But there is one more thing that I forgot to mention, that Manila is not a new dot for United. It's not a new destination as it's currently served by the Island Hopper on a 737. So that's that's interesting. They'll get actual nonstop service from the mainland, but Manila is actually a destination served by United today. Just not in a way that any normal human being would want to get to. <laughs> from San Francisco. You could do it. You'd either have to be crazy or a geek like one of us, but you could do it. Or both. Or both. You could do both. I mean, I, I don't want to say that crazy and a geek like us is mutually exclusive. No, I, I, don't I, I would say that. love to do the Island Hopper one day. I don't know if that'll ever happen. But yeah, interesting. It's not actually a new destination for United, but a new nonstop option. Well, how about that? Yeah. Well, Jason, would you say any of those routes are to the North Pacific Maybe the, mm. the Narita one? Maybe. It's way the hell north of Tokyo, that's for sure. All right. Well, we'll, we'll take it and we'll run with it. Because Northern Pacific began their service last week and the inaugural went about as well as inaugurals can go. There were some minor delays, but inaugural flights are often delayed because 
it's the first time out. There's a lot of excited passengers boarding it's the aircraft. Party. It's difficult. allowed to be it's fashionably late. You know, you're exactly. The return, on the other hand, there was nothing fashionable about that delay. No, not to bury the lead here, but 26 hours of delay, well, technically not a delay at all because no, I, I canceled. Think the, the aircraft went home without any passengers on board. So not great. No. So they're going to try again this week, I guess. The Northern Pacific aircraft, the 757 that they used, had a technical issue from what we understand from someone who was on board or who was supposed to be on board the return flight from Las Vegas to Ontario, California. There was a light bulb that was, I don't want to say critical to flight, but you can't fly without it. So they needed to find a replacement and the replacement they found didn't work and then they needed to get another replacement. So they had to get the part from Ontario, California. So they had to drive it over to Las Vegas. And then by then it was Sunday night and who knows what happened after that. But they ended up basically buying everyone on the flight a new way to get to wherever they needed to get to. So to their credit, they got people where they needed to go rather than just back to Ontario, California, because some people had connecting flights or or not connecting flights, but some people had follow-on flights that they were supposed to be taking from Ontario or or from other LA airports to different destinations. And, And Northern Pacific basically got people where they needed to go on their dime. So kudos to them for that. But just a real not great start to things. No, Europe's trial by fire a little quicker than anyone would have preferred or liked. I'm sure a lot of lessons were learned, a lot of improvements to be made, both, I guess, maintenance practices wise and just generally what do you do with your aircraft while it's sitting on the ground in overly ridiculously hot Las Vegas for three days between flights, make sure that it is properly buttoned up and the battery won't die overnight or whatever happened. I don't think they ever actually clarified, but at least they got people where they needed to go. But maybe that's only because it was technically still the inaugural round trip. Will that happen three months from now if they cancel? I don't know. I hope Northern Pacific has a better go of it this coming week, though. That's for sure. Yeah. So good luck to them. And also good luck to them as they, you know, they're still progressing toward the stated goal of operating flights from the US West Coast to destinations in Asia via Anchorage. They really do want to do the Iceland Air of the West model. And it won't happen for a while, but that's still their stated goal. So yeah, good luck to they, them reaching they that. They just got to get well. that ETOP certification. One day. One day. Mm-hmm. So good news if you're flying United in the near future, because one of the, I guess, things to worry about going wrong with your trip is seemingly off the table. Because United Pilots have an agreement in principle with the airline for a new pilot contract. So good for them and seemingly very good for the pilots. Pilots will receive between 34.5 and 40.2% increase in pay rates over the life of the four-year agreement, as well as signing bonus pay back to January of 2020. The Union says that the contract is worth $10 billion over the lifetime of the contract. That's a lot of billion. 
And that's a contract covering the Airline Pilots Association pilots at United, 16,000 United pilots. Every time we talk about contracts, whether it's with pilots or, and we'll talk about of some flight attendant contracts in a moment, it still boggles my mind. Having been doing this for a while now, it still boggles my mind how many people work for airlines. It's a lot and yet somehow never enough. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, 16,000 pilots at United covered by this contract. It's just, it's incredible to me. And that's just United pilots. That's not all of the subsidiary pilots that also fly aircraft that have United paint on them. It's I mean, a lot of people. A lot of people. 16,000 pilots. And yep. that's not even flight attendants, ground staff, gate agents, people that check in. It's just a remarkably complex and, and very crowded industry. And again, never enough. Never enough. So these contracts are always extremely comprehensive. They cover almost everything that you and I could think of, and then so much more that we don't even know to think about. But one of the things that struck me is the pay rates, the proposed pay rates for captains and first officers by aircraft type were published. And one of the things that I found slightly amusing is the comprehensive nature of the pay rates in that aircraft that United doesn't fly and 99.999% sure will never fly are included on the pay scale, just in the 0.001% chance that United somewhere down the line says, you know what, we're going to pick up a bunch of secondhand A380s from Emirates and operate them. Well, oh, I am there for that. That would be, that would be nice. If they do that, a first year A380 captain would make $544.21 per flight hour. Hey, that sounds good. Per duty hour, I think is how the breakdown works. But a 12th year captain, so say they operate the secondhand A380s for 12 years. Ooh, we're, 12, we're getting real up there in the land of hypotheticals. A, a 12 year captain on the A380 at United would make $593.10 per Very hour. nice. It's is in, some in sort of parallel universe, yeah. maybe this would happen, <laughs> but that would be fun. In more realistic terms, uh, first year captain on the triple seven and seven eight seven will make three hundred eighty six dollars and ninety five cents per hour, and a first year first officer would make one hundred nine dollars and forty two cents per hour. First year first officers across the board making one hundred nine dollars and forty two cents per hour, and then it jumps way up from there. So a second year first officer goes from $109.42 per hour in the triple seven to $208 an hour and 72 cents the second year. So interesting stuff. Some real big jumps in the second year, depending on what aircraft you're operating. But I just thought it was very interesting that everything, nearly everything gets thrown at the pilot pay scale just to make sure all the bases are in fact covered. I wonder if they actually have people putting these contracts together, going through like, what should we pay hypothetically our captains, our 10-year-long captains operating an A380? About $585 a duty hour. Like, Are they actually going through that list and coming up with these amounts or is this just some sort of algorithmic, the bigger the plane, the higher the pay thing, I wonder? I'm sure it's based on some baseline calculation and then- 
they just throw out a number and and I'm sure that that wasn't one of the more contentious points of negotiation as far as things were concerned, what they were going to pay hypothetical A380 captains. But interesting to see nonetheless. Fun exercise though. Yeah. American Airlines pilots, on the other hand, having already reached an agreement in principle with that airline in May, are looking at the United deal and going, hey, wait a minute. I want a do-over. <laughs> so that'll be interesting because the agreement in principle is reached, but the rank and file union members have not yet voted to ratify that contract. Interesting. So they've agreed on it, but they haven't voted to ratify it. Could right. they theoretically say, you know what? No, we could do better. Look at United and then start this whole thing over again. Yeah. I mean, basically, yeah. They could vote not to ratify the contract. And then I don't know if it's back to square one. I don't know if the vote not to ratify would take them all the way back to starting over or if they could say, okay, look what United's got. We want to negotiate from there. But that will be interesting to see. Delta has their contract. Hawaiian has a contract. JetBlue has a contract. And Spirit has a contract. So those are all Allied Pilots Association represented pilots. The American pilots are represented by the Allied Pilots Association. So a different union. So I don't know that has any any bearing on on how these things work out. On the very negative side, if the rancor on on social media and talking points coming from the union are to be believed, the Southwest Airlines Pilots Association is not happy and is very, very strongly for possibly striking. They have voted in favor of a strike and the pilots have requested to be released from mediation, which is a step towards actually striking. So we're not there yet, but this is it does not look good over at Southwest. No, everything does not look good indeed. Everyone wants their slice of the pie and I say go get it. And then there are the American Airlines flight attendants, of which there are 26,000. Jeez. Makes United's numbers with their pilots look uh, insignificant. It does indeed. So American Airlines flight attendants, they're going to vote at the end of July through August, and the August results will allow for a strike authorization. So this will also follow being released from mediation by the National Mediation Board. So we're not there yet with American Airlines flight attendants, but things are getting much more serious when you start voting to authorize strikes. Oh, it really takes a month to vote on that, huh? Between July 28th and August 29th, it takes more than a month to vote? Well, A, there are 26,000 of them. Yeah, there are a lot, but uh, we, we as a nation have one election yes. day. I'm pretty sure the the voting has to be done in a specific way and you have to leave the vote open for a certain amount of time. I don't know all of the union rules, but there are a lot of them for this type of thing. Well, I hope they get everything it is they want from American. Well, we'll find out later this summer who's getting what they want and, and who is not and how it could impact your travel plans later this coming fall. So stay tuned for more on all of that. Let's go very far away from America for the moment and head to Turkey because Turkish Airlines has created a new wholly owned subsidiary, which is one of my favorite phrases in the airline industry. 
I love a good wholly owned subsidiary. It's Turkish Airlines, but not. Yes. So it's a uh, a wholly owned subsidiary of Turkish Airlines for the operation of Anadolu Jet, which is the low cost version uh, of Turkish Airlines. They have their own livery, but it's just Turkish Airlines for the moment. There's no word on whether or not or when they'll begin operating with their own operating certificate. And that could turn them into their own airline. Turkish also wants to spin off Turkish cargo. They have not yet done so. So it'll be interesting to see how long that takes and whether or not they do in fact begin operating with their their own operating certificate and become their own airline. I don't know if it'll that will wipe off the a trademark of Turkish Airlines off the painting of the aircraft. But we'll see on that. Yeah. What what else could we scrounge up in, in Turkish aviation news? Well, I think the Pegasus Airlines order for another 36 A320neos is worth talking about because that takes their order book up to 150. So not a bad order book. 36 new orders and previous orders have included 72 A321neos and they've taken delivery of about half of those as of the end of June and 42 A320neos all of which have been already delivered. There's still a small contingent of 737-800s hanging on at Pegasus. This airline is notable, one, for its quick expansion and shift over to, to Airbus, and two, for the fact that their livery always makes me think the website is flypigs.com. Is it not? <laughs> The billboard titles on the front fuselage of the aircraft says flypgs.com. Every time I look, I know what it says. I know the website. I've gone to the website. Every time I look at a picture of one of these Pegasus planes, I swear it says flypigs.com. Flypigs.com. Which I think would be a great name for an airline. Up there as nice of an airline name as Bees Airline, you know? I like these airlines named after animals. How is yeah. Bees Airline these days anyway? Are they still a thing? They were hanging on for a while. Bees Airlines, for those that are unfamiliar, was a Ukrainian startup airline. Oh, and, was uh, an airline. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. So not great. No, the last line of its Wikipedia entry is uh, the airline's AOC was revoked later in summer 2022 due to the airline not having any aircraft. Well, not great. I mean, you know, <laughs> the lessors were like, well, if you're not going to run the airline, we'll take our aircraft back, which I mean, makes sense. But hopefully they can they can restart eventually after the war. So let's see. That was Turkish. We ended up with Bees Airlines. And now after we're done recording, I'm probably going to go down a rabbit hole of aircraft or airlines named after animals. Sounds like a blog post. Maybe I was going to say, maybe look for that on the Flight Radar 24 blog later in the week. I don't know. And then Jason, you had this flagged. Somebody got scammed or almost got scammed when they tried to call Delta Airlines. Yeah, this is... Not exactly a a new phenomenon, Uh, people getting scammed on the internet. I mean, who's heard of that before, right? But this tweet from, I think, Shmuley Evers on on Twitter kind of hit a a, a particular inflection point. Uh, 2.3 million views, apparently. His flight out of JFK was canceled, as were the flights of so many other passengers this summer. Things Things are not great. And the line for customer service, which you really 
don't need to join given the the robust app and other other self-service channels these days. You probably don't need to do that, but the line was really long. So he Googled a Delta JFK phone number, which, which is sending up all sorts of red flags because you can't call an airline at an airport. That's not how it works. Unless you look it up on Google Flights, then somehow a phone number or a listing for Delta JFK came up on Google Flights with a phone number, and he gave them his confirmation number and gave all sorts of flight information. They called the flight line broke up. They called back, and it all sounded like things were going to be fine. They'd get him a new flight, and he'd get where he was going. But things got a little weird when seemingly hours later, they, they determined uh, they wanted him to pay five times the price of the original ticket, which doesn't make any sense. If you know anything about travel, when there's a cancellation, you don't pay anything additional to get on a different flight to get you to your destination. The airline will do what's necessary to get you from A to B. But what turns out is that there's quite a little scam going on on Google Maps, again, not surprising, that scammers have inserted fake listings for airlines. In this case, it was Delta. And the biggest red flag that should have come up was that it spelled Delta Airlines, not Delta Airlines. Airlines is two words when it comes to Delta. Uh, Big red flag. You and I would have known that, but yeah, apparently this guy did not. But it's a big problem on Google. There's listings for American, Southwest at LaGuardia, Air France, Qatar, ETA, Turkish. Never call any of these numbers that you find on Google Maps. Because best case scenario, you're wasting your time. Worst case scenario, they either cancel your flight out of spite or they charge you an order of magnitude more to do a simple self-service change on your behalf. If you're in this situation, go to the airline's website, use the airline's app, only look at information you can find through an official channel. It kind of sucks that airlines really go out of their way to make it difficult to find the actual phone number to call them because they don't want you to call them. Because if everyone calls, it's going to be really difficult to answer all those calls. But moral of the story, don't look up an airline's phone number on Google Maps because nothing good will come of that. Was the scam that they were trying to steal the guy's credit card and in an effort to do that, they were going to buy him a new ticket? Uh, like whatever, like did they just go to the Delta website? So I don't think it's a scam to get your credit card information, though they're probably going to get that information as well. The scam here is that it appears to you as if they are the airline, as if you have called Delta Airlines. They're not telling you that you have called someone else, but you all they need is your last name and your reservation number, and they can just go on Delta.com or Southwest.com, plug in that information and rebook you on another flight. And if they, if you have to pay something for some reason, they'll take your credit card information, probably put it in. But if you're simply rebooking someone, you can do that on the website and they can just make up whatever cost and then just charge you on, on Stripe or PayPal or whatever. And at the end of that, you get to your destination because they reissue the ticket through the airline website and you're Never the wiser, because if you're calling that line, you probably don't know any better. And maybe you just think, oh, it's totally ordinary that I'd have to pay $500 because the airline canceled. But no, never, ever, ever do that. Unless you're calling a travel agent, but you probably already know who they are. Right. Then you know who your travel agent is already. Wow, that's terrible. Yeah. And let's be honest. If you call a number for what you think is an airline and somebody picks up right away, 
it's almost certainly not the airline. If you don't go through at least five minutes of annoying voice authentication <laughs> and IVRs and entering PIN numbers that you don't know and reservation numbers you don't have on you, you're probably not calling the right line. They don't make yeah. it easy to get to a person. So if uh, somebody picks up right away, it, it's a red flag unless you're like a platinum elite or whatever and you have a dedicated line. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. So last things last is that Oshkosh or EAA Air Venture, as it's actually called, but I'm not sure how many people actually call it that besides the folks running it, just regular old Oshkosh is coming up. It starts this weekend and runs through the following weekend. This is, of course, the massive, massive gathering of more than 10,000 aircraft and 500,000 people over the course of a week. The tower at Oshkosh becomes the busiest air traffic control tower in the world for about 10 days. And well, I'll be there on Saturday, the 29th of July. So if you were headed there, or if you weren't headed there, and now you're like, well, if Ian's going, I should go too, let me know. Email us at podcast at fr24.com and let us know when you're going to be there. Unfortunately, we'll only be there this year on the 29th of July, but hopefully next year we'll have an expanded presence or at least a few days to see more stuff because there's no way to see. If you spend the entire week there, you still don't see everything there is to see. And it sounds like there's going to be some really cool stuff this year, looking at tweets from the Experimental Aircraft Association. Some of the big aircraft are going to be there, C-17, Boeing Dreamlifter. So that'll be interesting to see. Yeah. And I hear that if you harass Ian long enough, he'll give you some swag. Long enough is like eight seconds. There you go. Exactly. But yeah, so looking forward to seeing anyone and everyone who is there next Saturday. If you are going to Oshkosh and you're not going to be there next Saturday, drop us a note too and let us know what you're looking forward to seeing. And if you've already gone and come back, let us know what you enjoyed the most so that we can chat about it on next week's show before we head up there. So we know what to expect and exactly what we want to to see. But until then, this has been episode 225 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with Jason Rubinowitz. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.